Wired into technology transformation, this is the Digital Bulletin Podcast. Hello, listener. Thank you for joining us. This is episode 24 of the Digital Bulletin Podcast, this month with an exciting new flavor as we welcome a special guest onto our panel. But you know we simply couldn't make it through without the man who I believe has appeared on every episode in our illustrious history. It's CEO Romley Broad. Romley, how are you? Is it every episode? I think that is true. I mean, I can't validate that with actual data. I've been trying to get out of it for ages, and I, wow, I'm really bad. Anyway, yeah, it's good to good to be back. You can't stay away, really. Um, <laughs> and next to Romilly, in a virtual sense, but in reality, on the other side of the world, we have Adam Markowitz. Adam, hello. Hello. Thanks How for are you doing? Me. You excited to be here? I am. Thank you. Really excited. I hope it's a very exciting thing. <laughs> <laughs> so, Adam, cool. I bet you don't do those very often. So Adam is co-founder and CEO of a company called Drata, which we're going to hear all about in a minute. Plus, we'll be chatting with Adam about his career and the newest trends in the security space. Rom and I will also review our recent case study on Ericsson. But first, listener, here is your news roundup. It's been a busy few weeks post-summer in the tech industry, and we've already had another AWS Microsoft spat. Charlie Bell, 23 years a senior executive at AWS, has left to head up cybersecurity operations at Microsoft. But AWS isn't making it easy with Bell having a non-compete clause. This is all now being played out in public and could maybe go to court, so watch this space. Now, we've seen a somewhat surprising acquisition in the shape of Intuit, the company behind financial products like QuickBooks, buying email marketing specialist MailChimp for a hefty $12 billion. Nobody saw that one coming earlier this year. Elsewhere, Intel revealed that it could spend up to $95 billion on new chip-making facilities in Europe. If anything can contextualize the global semiconductor crisis, then it's that story. We've also seen Google announce plans to develop its own CPUs for laptops. Databricks close a funding round at $1.6 billion to continue that success story. And Facebook has presented its first ever smart glasses. But we're not going to talk about that. You can get access to the best reporting on those stories and many, many more via the bulletin on digitalbulletin.com. But now we're going to focus on today's guest, Adam Thank you once again for joining us. Now, Adam is a very successful tech entrepreneur, which we're going to hear all about. But there's only really one place for us to start. Adam, you used to be a rocket scientist. Now, I'm sure that's very interesting. Certainly the first rocket scientist we've had on this podcast. Rom, when he was a child, I'm sure would have loved to have been a rocket scientist, but ended up being a journalist instead. It rhymes, right? Um, So, Adam, first of all, tell us all about that. That's cool. Sure. I think... um... Well, right off the bat, once you have that on your uh, your resume, you can never do anything embarrassing or stupid again. Um, if I even trip off a curb, it's uh, wow, rocket scientists can't even walk. Um, but yes, my uh, my background traditionally and education-wise, and my first job was uh, in aerospace and astronautical engineering. I worked on NASA space shuttle program for five years after undergrad um, until NASA retired the fleet uh, in 2011, 2012. Um, so that was a, a dream come true type of job for a, uh, a nerdy kid who always wanted to be an astronaut um, to then be helping 
launch astronauts into space. It was, it was pretty surreal. Um, really glad I had that experience, especially right after undergrad, 2008 of all times to be trying to enter the workforce uh, when the market crashed. It was, it was pretty brutal out there. Yeah. And that, can I, can I, yeah, go on, ben, you're the no, you, I want you to, <laughs> I want you to interrupt me. So I'm, interrupt away. Ben's main passion, apart from what we do here is sport. I, and I'm just a nerd. And um, so what, what exactly were you doing there? Like, and obviously you, you joined the shuttle program just as it was being shut down. Oh. So that was an interesting move but you got to do it which <laughs> most people well nobody can now do so you get to say that right but what what exactly were you were you actually focusing on yeah i mean i can say in 2008 when i started you know none of us realized the program was coming to an end um right. after you know a 30-year streak so that was that was pretty eye-opening just having that experience as well going through the tail end of that program really opened my eyes to entrepreneurship but uh while I was there, I was a structural engineer working on the uh, main combustion chamber for the, the space shuttle main engine, which was the reusable rocket engine that powered the, the space shuttle. Uh, you know, when the space shuttle would launch, you've got the, the two main boosters, um, but those would you know, come off as it was uh, as it was going up and you had the three main engines that would power for another you know five and a half minutes, uh, just basically a controlled explosion. Um, <laughs> yeah. Some pretty uh, amazing you know, opportunity to get to work on something like that. I mean, there's all kinds of crazy statistics out there, but the you know the walls of the main combustion chamber, right, are as thin as a piece of paper. And on one side, you've got liquid hydrogen, the second coldest liquid on the planet, negative 400 degrees. And on the other side, you've got the exhaust at three, positive 3,000 degrees. I mean, just, just mind-blowing stuff that was really hard to even fathom. And, you know, coming right out of school to be able to work on something like that was, yeah, it was just kind of surreal. I uh, wow, that's amazing. And um, well, I think we've got a similar, we had a similar sort of trajectory, I think you and I. So I left, I came out of university and served ice creams on a beach for some <laughs> I did that as well oh, um, during, during right. the summers in between. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, Ben, I'll let you, sorry, you're, I'm just getting in the way. Sorry. No, uh, what I'm really interested in, Adam, is how so obviously your career has, has taken kind of a different shape and you're now working in, in, in tech and security. But, you know, what, what lessons from that very kind of interesting time when you were very young, very early in your career, what lessons do you still sort of have and have taken and, you know, have taken into your, your career going forward? I mean, on one hand, it was just a pretty awesome responsibility as a you know, 21-year-old coming out of undergrad um, to, to be doing what I was doing. Um, everyone at the company, we love so much exactly like the why behind everything that we did. I mean, we would have astronauts walking through the office, you know, shaking our hands, thanking us because our work literally keeps them, helps them come home to their families. And, you know, it's just a, again, everything, everyone I talk about it, it's just so surreal that, you know, I had that experience so young. And then fast forward to almost of a drop of a hat, the program just ended. Um, and here I was the younger kind of generation of engineers coming in and, and kind of got to witness folks at the tail end of their careers, um, you know, just how quickly it could come to an end um, without any say in, in, in that. And, um, you know, it kind of the golden kick in the butt, they call it, um, in that program ended to, to one, appreciate the opportunity and then also start to take ownership of where I was going to go next um, and kind of you know, be the master of my own destiny. Um, and and really, if you know, be able to look back and if something you know, moving forward, if something didn't 
pan out the way I wanted, um, being able to understand why, basically point to my own maybe mistakes um, or missteps that, that led to that. Um, that's just kind of how I realized, maybe a little more self-awareness um, to what I wanted and what I didn't want having gone through that experience. Um, that was kind of the, the steps that led to, to me starting something new and something of my own. Yeah, really fascinating stuff, Adam. So yeah, tell us about what, what happened next. We're going to talk about Drata in a minute, but between stopping yeah. being a rocket scientist and, and, and launching Drata um, last year, what, what path did you take? Yeah, so I mean, part of the reason why I landed that job after undergrad, I mean, I was a, I was a decent student, <laughs> but, uh, but you know, it was, it was 2008 and the market crashed and it was a hard time finding, finding a job, but somehow I landed my dream job and, and really the, the life hack as they referred to it at the time, um, as an engineering student, I brought a portfolio into my job interviews um, to help me basically prove my skills to employers. I, um, I was just always taught the best way to you know, earn trust is to first prove you deserve it. So I wanted this proof, right? I had, I had my resume like every other student, but we all went to the same school. We took the same classes. We had similar GPAs. So why was I going to get hired over the next person at this company doing my you know, dream job? Uh, and so I literally just, I mean, I call it a portfolio. I stapled photographs of different engineering projects that I worked on, even outside the classroom to the back of my resume. Um, and it worked like a charm. I mean, it added a whole new dynamic to my job interviews. And I always knew there was something to that um, directly. <laughs> correlated to me landing that job. Uh, but it was in the back of my mind, you know, I was, had a great job and I was actually doing grad school at night. Uh, it wasn't until the program ended, the special program ended that I thought maybe there was something more to that life hack. Maybe, you know, students still are feeling that pain and this is years later. And so after doing a little bit of, you know, research decided, why not? Why not build something from scratch to help other students do exactly what I just had done to land my dream job. You know, basically create, a network, I called it Portfolium, um, yeah, combination of podium and portfolio, really helping students you know, have the opportunity to take center stage, present evidence of their skills to employers and help employers on the other side find the best talent wherever it might be um, across the globe, uh, not based on GPA or you know, where they went to school, but what they could actually do and what they're passionate about their potential. Uh, so pretty uh, lofty endeavor for someone who didn't even know how to code to go build <laughs> something like that from scratch. Um, but I think, again, having gone through that experience um, at the tail end of the, the shuttle program just gave me the, I mean, not confidence, but just the gumption maybe to, to go and try. Uh, and the worst that would happen is it, it doesn't work out, but I learned a lot along the way. And um, yeah, that was uh, 2012. I uh, watched a lot of YouTube videos, learned how to code enough to be dangerous and built the first version of what I was calling portfolio. Um, and that was the beginning of a six and a half year journey, um, you know, beginning to end. Um, the company was acquired in, in February of 2019 um, by a, a company called Instructure, the makers of Canvas, a learning management system for uh, higher ed and K-12. Um, but yeah, a, a lot learned over a six and a half year journey, I could tell you that. <laughs> Rom, have you got anything you want to chip in with at this point? Um, oh, I'm still thinking about ice creams because I, I feel like I haven't really uh, moved, moved on that, that far. I, I mean, it, it's fascinating. What do you think? Obviously, you you, you sort of launched, uh, and I pun not intended, but I'll pretend it was, out of, out of NASA and rocket science and uh, engineering into an entrepreneurial kind of path. 
successfully. Do you what what was it about your experience on the engineering side that set you up? Do you think to succeed? Because most entrepreneurs obviously don't succeed. Um, they've got the uh, confidence, but not necessarily uh, you know the the full toolkit that helps them to get there, or maybe just don't have the luck. But um, was it just uh, the idea that you, well you've already done impossible things, so maybe you could do more of them or something? Uh, probably. Um, no, I think. Um, I mean, at the highest level, I think engineers are are problem solvers. I think that's just what they're kind of classically trained to do. It's how they're wired. Um, and you know, starting a company and being an entrepreneur is nonstop problem solving. Um, so I think that is a nice advantage and why you see so many you know, engineers kind of transition over. Um, and then you've got to have just like the, uh, the kind of self-awareness and, you know, thankfully I have amazing parents and it raised me to you know, believe in myself with a certain self-esteem and, you know, empathy. Um, and I, I grew up also playing a lot of sports, a lot of team sports, which I think also helped. Um, in terms of recruiting, building, and, and leaning on others, right? There was no way I was going to be able to do this by myself um, and didn't have any kind of ego to think I could do it by myself. It was from almost day one, surrounding myself with people who who knew a lot more than I did that I could learn from and that I could enable and kind of get out of their way. Um, these are things, again, that kind of came more naturally to me, which I think was an advantage. Um, I, I didn't make a lot of those early mistakes of just trying to boil the ocean and do everything. And um, I've seen that happen before as well. Okay. Adam, let's let's talk about Drata now. And, and maybe you could describe your company in, in a way, like what, what problem is Drata solving for, for organizations? And, and you know, try and, this is all about SOC2, isn't it? Now, I'm, I'm, I'm hoping you call it SOC2, because I'm going to call it SOC2. <laughs> <laughs> what is SOC2? What does your company do? How you, what problems are you, are you solving for businesses? Sure. Yeah. So Drata is a software as a service company, uh, helps our customers. They stand up and maintain a strong security compliance posture through automation, right? So we, Drata connects to a company's cloud systems, um, and then it's able to continuously monitor its security controls, identify gaps as they form, collect evidence for compliance audits. You know, we started with SOC 2 compliance, um, but now since then we've launched uh, an ISO 27001 product, um, and that's going to continue to expand into other frameworks as well. Um, and so SOC 2, you know, it's, it's a compliance framework. It's created by the AICPA, the American Institute of Certified Public Accountants. Um, and it's meant to help companies basically prove their security posture, prove they're doing the right things when it comes to protecting their customers' data, which could, the next question is, how do you go from, from rocket scientists to e-portfolios to compliance automation? Very, very Correct. fair question. I could, um, and so it was just like portfolio came out of my own personal need, making that jump from you know college to career. The idea for Drata began when we were back at portfolio. So we were selling our software into colleges, universities. Um, so that was a key um, kind of differentiator for us at portfolio. And we sold the software to schools, college universities. They would onboard all of their students into this social network. Um, where the students would then showcase evidence of their skills in these portfolios and connect to employers. Um, so you can imagine selling you know, software to university campuses. They're essentially paying a, an annual license. They're putting their logo on something public and then putting all of their student data into it. Um, from essentially day one, we had to basically prove we were going to protect that student data. Um, and the best way to do that, and the most common way to do that was with a SOC 2 report. 
which is the result of any SOC 2 audit, which is something that you're going to want to do annually if you are a SaaS company, if you store or process customer data in the cloud, SOC 2 technically applies to you. Uh, so our company realized you know, what it took to get and maintain that SOC 2 report, doing it manually. Um, and our eyes got pretty big um, when we realized there's a way to help streamline and eventually automate that work um, to where you're not just checking a box for compliance sake, but actually focus more on the security aspects, which result in a compliance audit and report. So uh, after the company was acquired in February of 2019, myself, my same co-founders, core engineering team, uh, we got back together with a lot of muscle memory. Um, this was just last year to basically start Drata, write the first lines of code back in July of last year. Rom, this, this is fascinating stuff, isn't it? Because mm. you, you're kind of, learning that entrepreneurship and, and, and business is about really seeing opportunities, isn't it? Right. And I'm not going to get into our story, but obviously we, we're, we're also co-founders of a business, very different one, nowhere near as clever, but you know, we do our thing and, and actually it's a similar story. And I think when people um, follow something that they're intimately familiar with and, you know, you don't need to go out necessarily and test the marketplace to understand that there's a need for it because you know it you've been living it and you've got you know you've got the skills and the ability to actually address it and uh you've got kind of the springboard you need right and um I, i've got a, a question so in terms of the you know when when someone comes and use, uses your platform how many man hours do you think that they might save if they come and use your system because presumably it sounds to me like you you were dealing with this problem uh selling stuff into highly regulated environments the very sensitive environments and it's, it's the sort of admin that would drive you nuts, isn't it, surely? It is. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> companies spend on average you know, hundreds of hours a year just maintaining you know, their compliance certifications and reports. Um, and it's a lot of manual repetitive tasks. And usually it's looking backwards, right? You're, you're not in the moment or even proactively addressing things as they happen. Um, and so compliance can get a bad rep. Um, audit even is a dirty word and in a lot of cases it's scary and companies will avoid it. Um, we, we work with a lot of mid-market and SMB and even startup customers um, and as you'd imagine and, and this is where we really empathize because we were one of them. We were a startup company at Portfolium trying to do this while focused on so many other things um, even viability as, as, a, as a company and product market fit and so to go and dedicate hundreds of hours, engineering hours, um, get this first SOC 2 report. I mean, it, it wasn't a trivial decision um, and, then, and then a lot of work to go do. And so if you could automate that, we're, we're saving hundreds of hours per year um, because it only gets more and more time consuming and strenuous, the bigger your company gets. The biggest irony here is the earlier you do it, the faster it is, the easier it is to maintain and the cheaper it is. Uh, but we also empathize with reality. Um, it's not the first thing that you wake up in the morning to go pursue. <laughs> so yeah. as a startup i guess adam as well that with more and more data being created by organizations but in, in industries at large and with cloud infrastructures becoming more and more more complex the the, the um, ability to be able to automate this compliance is something that is becoming more and more kind of critical isn't it yeah i mean infrastructure is code i mean the, the fact that you could automate so much these days it's like you know why why not automate the monitoring of your actual security posture um, that it's just a, a trend that 
that we know is the future and then we're living it. Um, and it's great actually being our own customer, right? I mean, even back at Portfolium, we, as much as we all loved what we did, we had our own portfolios um, on Portfolio. We weren't students anymore. Um, we, we had already graduated. Um, so we could do all of the research and try to get into the shoes of, of our users. Um, here, we, we were our very own first customer. We didn't come out of stealth in January of this year until we had our own SOC 2 report in hand and use our own tool to get it. Um, just on good faith and, and principle alone, we weren't gonna have paying customers in the system without using it ourselves first. Um, and so that was, you know, just kind of speaks to some of our, our core values around trust. It's it's interesting, right? When I talk about Portfolium and, and how it was all about helping students prove their skills to employers by earning trust, by proving they deserved it, it's, it's exactly what we're doing here again. It's a completely different space. Um, but our, our customers are proving their security posture to their customers, to the auditors that are coming and actually conducting the audit. Um, so, I mean, you could, as different as the companies are on the surface, they, they all come back to that same core value of trust um, being such a core piece of, of what the product's actually delivering. How global are you there? Yeah, you're still really young. You're, you're like you're a tiny little baby of a company. It's only, <laughs> and you did it in a pandemic. Right, that could that must yeah. have been fun. Um, how you know where's 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 the what's the trajectory for the next few months? Where are you going? Yeah, I think everything maybe this this time around is going through a different lens of appreciation. I think that's the best way to, to put it. Um, you know, portfolio first time founder. Um, I could tell you that absolutely nothing came easy. Um, nothing, <laughs> uh, and not that anything is easy this time. You just have a little more muscle memory and. When you get the same team back together, that that's a key competitive advantage on day one. Um, so much muscle memory, so much trust is built over years of working together that we were able to build so much so fast from July of last year till we launched in January of this year um, that we really surprised a lot of folks out there uh, with just how robust the product was. Again, we had the muscle memory of doing it ourselves to some extent at our prior company. Um, so that that's a competitive advantage any any time but during a global pandemic um, where i could imagine if we were hiring folks training onboarding ramping um, during that period instead of building um, it would have taken a lot longer to do what we did um, and so one on one hand you know we were very again, appreciative of just the opportunity appreciative of our health with everything that was going on in the world it was you know, if we're going to be locked inside um, let's let's spend that time wisely and you know Come back, come out of stealth in January, and, and kind of take the market by storm. Um, so it's been it's been a wild ride since uh, we officially launched. Yeah, in January, um, and just the I think even our most aggressive models didn't predict the sheer pull of this market and, and the opportunity and the size of it. Um, we witnessed it ourselves, right? So from 2017 to 2019, we were selling portfolio into universities, and we witnessed, you know, again firsthand the requests for our SOC two report go from kind of a nice to have, almost competitive advantage to absolute table stakes must have. You know, by 2019, it was, if you didn't have one, it was it was more telling companies who not to do business with than the other way around. Because uh, it, it became the bare minimum, uh, like the minimum bar to, to earn their trust. Uh, so yeah, perfect storm timing wise for, for what we're doing. And I know Adam, that you guys had a fairly chunky funding round, I think announced in June this year. So things are going to accelerate pretty quickly. Like what, what does the next kind of six months, year, five years look like, do you think? Yeah, it's, it's continuing to, to build, <laughs> continuing to build the team, the product, supporting our customers. Um, you know, what, one of the best things about 
getting our first, you know, hundred customers in the first 45 ish days after launch was, I mean, there's the obvious benefits of that. Uh, but more than anything, we were able to learn and iterate so quickly with the voice of a hundred customers in our ear that fast. Uh, we are extremely, you know, everyone says they're customer centric. Uh, we, you know, we're, we're customer obsessive and we put customer success at the center of, of everything that we do. Um, and so it was, I mean, a dream. You know, again, I said nothing came easy the, the prior time. Not that this was easy, but we, it, it took us years to get our first hundred customers at portfolio, right? So just the, just the time horizon, the, the velocity at which the, everything's moving this time around is just night and day difference. Um, so the, for everything from the, the funding to the growth of the team um, to obviously the growth of the customers. So now it's about you know, making sure we're, we're even set up for hyper growth, um, especially going into next year, um, putting all those pieces and, and people in place to make sure we get there. And, You're on and another rocket. <laughs> I said I always wanted to be an astronaut. Now it's just a yeah, different, right. different kind of rocket. <laughs> <laughs> and Adam, what about yourself? Now, obviously, during this conversation, we've learned that you've thrown yourself into very different industries and, and, and had success. What do you see in the future for, for you personally? Do you have any other itches that you want to scratch? I guess you probably don't know right now, because as, as has happened before, you kind of grasp those opportunities when they were presented to you, um, in, well, when they were presented in front of you. So do you have a yearning to, to do this entrepreneurship thing again and again and again and, and sort of keep going for it? Yeah, I mean, in my my wife can attest to this. I, uh, when I commit to something, I'm, I'm all in. Um, it's, uh, I get kind of tunnel vision and a bit obsessive. Uh, so, you know, I am very much in, in tunnel vision on how we could build Drata into a market leader, um, a massive, massive company. Um, there's so much to be done and it's such a meaningful, worthwhile, you know, mission. Um, and it, you know, we see it every day when we're sharing our data constantly with, so many new applications and um you know i look at things differently even after just a year and a half here now at drata right where my data lives how it's being stored how it's being processed who it's being shared with um you know that there's a lot to be done so it's gonna it's gonna be a long and, and fun ride um so I'm, I'm looking forward to that i do personally love helping other founders um learn from my mistakes because i've made plenty of them and that's where i've done most of my learning um, again, I surrounded myself with people who had been there and done it before when I first started. So, you know, paying it back, paying it forward, however, however you look at it, um, it, it's really rewarding. So I do carve out some of my time even now to, to do that. And I want to continue to do that because it's just, uh, another worthwhile endeavor. Well, um, that's, we'll, we'll help you with that by publishing your email address and phone number, um, Perfect. along with the podcast. <laughs> I'm not sure what that. There might be a security implication. I think there. I think that's not going to be SOC two compliant. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, possible. Pretty inspiring stuff, Rom. Have you got anything else you want to quiz Adam on while he's here? I do. I, I this is a really silly question, but um, do do you still? Uh, everything you've just said is absolutely amazing, and I know that what we are almost certainly going to end up writing about you guys at some point. You know, because that's what we do when we're not talking into microphones and things. Um, outside of that of, of being um uh, on a on a on an entrepreneurial rocket do you still have any interest whatsoever in engineering things that go into space or fly off things or explode pretty timely with the with the spacex launch yesterday of the the first all civilian crew to space that was historic and definitely i mean oddly like nostalgic for me in a lot of ways um yeah 
because you know that that's the dream you know that was you know that, that should have been me <laughs> <laughs> well, um <laughs> there's lots of extremely successful business people who are throwing themselves into into orbit of late i, I noticed that they keep pinging off it's like someone's unstrapping <laughs> them and they're sort of flying off at a tangent because they've just got so much money it's i don't know it's just flying off into like um maybe that's uh what this is all about you've gone to set up your first hotel on mars or something yeah you feel like you reach a point where the problems you're solving just can't be big enough to satisfy that that urge that you know you've got to think about the existence of like the human species right. <laughs> on other <Right>. planets <laughs> <laughs> that's where we're all going that's it in the end there's nothing that can sate your thirst anymore but uh replicating the, the 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 story of lost in space so that's where we'll all end up <laughs> anyway that, that was that was a completely pointless question but i'm glad i could ask it hi you rounded the conversation off nicely i think <laughs> um adam it's been brilliant having you on thank you so much um we're gonna let you go now and get on with some proper work thank you hope you enjoyed it thank you very much for having me really appreciate it brilliant meanwhile rom and i will be back for more after this Find us as Digital Bulletin on LinkedIn, Facebook and Instagram and at Digi underscore Bulletin on Twitter. For this month's case study review, we are going to chat about our front cover story on networking giant Ericsson. I had the privilege of speaking to a number of leaders from Ericsson's managed services business area. This is the unit that helps telcos operate their increasingly complex networks. With the twin pressures of rapidly rising usage and greater customer expectations, not to mention the advent of 5G, telcos are feeling the heat. But this is where managed services come in. Ericsson is deploying sophisticated AI, automation and data analytics techniques to transform network operations under these new levels of demand. Here is the unit's leader, Peter Lorin, to explain more. The future of managed services is very exciting because the thing is that these networks that we have, the 4G networks, the 5G networks, have never been more critical for society. And I think the pandemic has shown that, that we are all uh, relying quite a lot on that internet connection at home or that mobile broadband connection. And just imagine for a second when this now will be not only your personal, so they say, Facebook experience or Netflix experience or your work connection, but it will be industries that connect, societies that connect, autonomous cars that connect, hospitals that connect. All of that connects in a wireless environment, right? And you need not only just best effort, you need super resilient networks that are, um, that even your heart surgery could depend on it, right? So in that scenario, the operations piece becomes super important. And the networks are not becoming less complex, they're getting more complex. So here's where, where the excitement and the future of managed services, because we see that the operations will be an important component in making these networks so reliable so that all of the society that depend on it will work. And, and the thing is that AI and machine learning will not, no longer be a nice to have, it will be a must have to do that operation. Bringing you back in here, Rom, now. Um, interesting stuff there from Peter. I think when I was putting this case study together, I, I couldn't believe that managed services in Ericsson employs 28,000 people. But when you think about it, 
Ericsson itself is such a key player in the global connectivity revolution and 5G, isn't it? Like, I think that case study highlighted that as much as anything. Yeah, I mean, they, they, they build it and they own it and they manage it and they make it work. And frankly, they've been doing basically the same thing since like the 1870s or something, haven't they? I mean, as a as a as an institution, they are in large part responsible for the fact that any of us are connecting to anything and sharing data and stuff at all. And so, you know, what's kind of impressive, I suppose, is that all of those people still exist, still at the front edge of everything that's happening and uh, everything he speaks about it uh, uh, speaks about is is true in the sense that now is a really exciting time to be doing all of that as well isn't it with uh, um, he's talking about the application of AI and automation and things like that which are kind of necessary because everything else has become so ubiquitous and complex and rapid moving that you kind of have no hope of managing it effectively unless you develop some really advanced ways of uh, uh, of keeping it all humming along yeah exactly he, he's spoken in the article about what he called a unique opportunity a kind of once in a lifetime moment where obviously we've got the advent of 5g we've got the advancement of of things like ai and and, and cloud obviously all coming together but then you have the the against that the kind of extraordinary demand that we as a human race now have for connectivity he said there about you know connected cars and and really critical use cases like that so while there's a lot of great opportunity it's almost like this this stuff is absolutely critical as well right and it's ericsson needs to be doing this and it's a huge company that i'm sure has got many established um processes and ways of doing things and it's having to kind of uproot those things in an exciting way but it's it's having to fundamentally change how it does it yeah absolutely so i mean you could you could look at ericsson and its products and its services and the infrastructure that it's built as increasingly uh, what's the right word fundamental to what the world is now doing um uh in terms of not not just because of pandemics and things but because this was kind of happening inevitably anyway where um while we spend a lot of time talking about technology and obviously it's all about technology in terms of what they're doing and a lot of that being very advanced ultimately neither he nor us nor anyone else is is really talking about technology we're talking about how people have uh, and businesses and everything about society is fundamentally changing the way it's operating um over the last 18 months that's accelerated uh, a bit and brought it into sharper relief but really the way we drive the way we commute the, the way we get from one place to another the way we address the climate uh crisis all of these things are going to fundamentally change the way we as people live and ericsson is going to be right at the heart of of enabling all of that and one thing i think that shines through when when he's talking is um they understand that i think um there's a a sense of purpose about what they're doing they they understand that uh you know in the in the eyes of the common person on the street ericsson is often a company that used to make phones and now doesn't (laughs) but uh uh actually they are root and branch behind and under and uh, in between everything that's that's going on and it's it's kind of i mean it was i obviously you were the one doing the interviews and so on but from from my perspective it was a quite a privilege to sort of peel peel the layers back and see peer inside uh uh and see what's how that all happens yeah no it certainly was a real privilege i only wish we could have 
gone over to Stockholm and, and spoken to Peter and his colleagues in in person because I think even we'd have got even more of a kind of an insight there and and you know seeing people face to face and, and traveling over and spending proper time with them it'd have been a real a real privilege that but certainly speaking to these people and you know these are very very senior people Peter himself is on the board of Ericsson he's he's in charge of the managed services units but he's on the board of Ericsson as well um a company that employs more than a hundred thousand people and and people is what I want to talk about next really because certainly one of the most interesting aspects of the managed services story is how it's working with its own people as I said all 28,000 of them to help deliver what they call the networks of the future and a key element of this is a major upskilling and reskilling program led in part by Charlotte Levere, head of people who tells us more here People is at the center of everything that we do. They are the ones who are driving the change. They are the ones who are now coming in with brilliant machine learning, automation, and AI skills. And they are the ones who are building the future networks. So um, people is hugely important for us. And it's also, you know, our responsibility as a company to ensure that we see the shift of the workforce as well. So. I mean, the amazing thing about the new technologies coming in is that we now have an opportunity to remove repetitive, mundane tasks that a machine can do. But what we also need to see is that we need to see the shift of our people moving into more advanced way of working. So we have a, a really fantastic opportunity now with the operations engine working with our customers and ensure that our people actually are there to to go into quite deep, complex problem solving. Charlotte mentioned the operations engine there. Now, that's the sort of single platform that is at the center of Ericsson's whole operations approach with customers. And you can read all about that in, in the article on digitalbulletin.com. But obviously, Charlotte is in charge of the people aspect of it. And Ron, this is a Fascinating area. And, and outside of that clip, Charlotte, Charlotte confirmed to us that Ericsson has already, well, managed services has already transitioned 10,000 people into sort of diff, different roles and they've been upskilled and reskilled to kind of fit with this new way of working and to adapt to the way these technologies have changed their, you know, fundamentally what they do every day, as you were saying. We talk a lot about kind of digital skills and the problem of the skills gap, but that, that's some effort, isn't it, to have, to, to have achieved that at that scale? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I don't know. But one of the advantages Ericsson has got is, first of all, being Ericsson and therefore um, an extremely desirable place to stay and go through that if you're already there, but also an extremely desirable place to go to if you're if you're um, of someone of the requisite skill levels and so on, um, at, partly because of where Ericsson is in the world. Um, it, it's it's an attractive place to be if you uh, if you want to go and um, uh, maximize your potential as as as, a, as an employee somewhere, right? So that's got to have, have helped. But even Ericsson recognizes that in order to address these challenges and a, a, a desperate lack of digital skills generally um, around the world, um, they were going to need to look after their own people in a fairly serious way, right? Um, uh, although I, I bet they're hiring, aren't they? I bet they're doing a lot of hiring. There's a lot of hiring as well. But I think the <laughs> yeah. the, the the kind of core message was this one of, you know, we've had people, many of whom I'm sure have been there for, you know, years, if not decades, who are having to just fundamentally become different 
professionals have learned completely new skills to fit in fit in with what they're doing now a part of it is that ericsson wanting to what they call democratize learning and that 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 means sort of putting learning at the center for everybody and moving away from people having the same job for years and only doing those jobs and focusing instead on you know supporting people by building their skills and and working with projects kind of as the driver we've we hear a bit about that quite a lot don't we Ron? that that kind of approach but again at, at scale that that seems to be the way ericsson is going and it kind of is the future isn't it i think yeah and actually that's probably a, a recognition strategically of the fact that the way people view their life journeys and their you know the jobs that they do and the things that they become skilled at is is changing as well and all in part uh, because of everything that Ericsson is doing, right? It's building the infrastructure of a new world, really. And people are viewing themselves differently in that world. And and you're right, we do hear this in, in other places where, um, uh, you know, an historic challenge for large companies is uh, specialists are either trained or hired. And they do that for a while until being human, they decide, well, I think I need to try something new. Uh, Normally, the way they go and do that is to hold on to the same specialism and just go and do it in a new place. And so therefore, it's slightly different. What Ericsson is saying is, look, well, no, look, we're doing amazing things in the world. But if you, you know, if you feel like you want to change that up and do something a bit different or advance or move sideways or whatever it is, they will build an infrastructure internally that allows that. And the result is um, extremely uh, multi-talented people with, who've got uh, a broader set of, of skills and uh, uh and, and things to bring to the table um when you've got people who are expert or at least partially expert in more than one area you're able to um, solve problems and be much more uh diverse in your ability to think about new things and seize opportunities and confront challenges etc um but more importantly you're able to retain those people and they and the 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 longer you keep people the more you're able to retain the institutionalized brain if you like of those of those people because the longer someone is ever in a place, the more difficult it is to replace that person because they inevitably build up a stock of um, of, of ingrained knowledge and they take it with them. So it it's a really positive way of doing things. It, it reminds me actually of um, when we spent some time with Deutsche Telekom, who I'm assuming is a Ericsson customer. Uh, they certainly obviously deal with each other, um, who actually have a very similar view to that um and and as part of that obviously they're addressing things like diversity amongst their employers um the gender gender gap in some of some of these technology areas and, and things like that knowing that all of this is vital ultimately to them achieving their objectives over the longer term yeah oh yeah ultimately it's a, it's a very clever way of reshaping the workforce isn't it because you feel like the people benefit and obviously the company is benefiting from it as well um so yeah I think that, you know, the case study is goes into a lot more kind of depth on all sorts of different areas. But for me, that that people element and how Ericsson has has, has managed that in, in a relatively short space of time with a huge amount of people is really, really interesting. Right. That is a wrap for us this month, folks. As I said, if you want to dive into the full Ericsson case study, you can read my article and watch some videos over on digitalbulletin.com. Other plugs are these. Our sister platform, Tech for Good, has just launched a new podcast called Teenage Tech Stories all about extraordinary young people doing extraordinary things with technology. Believe me, it's well worth a listen. In the latest issue of Digital Bulletin, we have 
case studies also with Mars, the company, not the planet, and Polish chocolate manufacturer Lotvidel, a personal favorite of mine, that one. Um, the last thing for me to do is to thank you, Romley. Thank you very much. No problem. No, thank you as well. Thank you. And thanks to you too, listener. We'll catch you next time. Goodbye. That was the Digital Bulletin Podcast. Listen and subscribe to a range of podcasts on Spotify, Apple Podcasts and Stitcher. Plug in for news, features and case studies on the very latest in enterprise technology and digital transformation.